Are you ready to experience something extraordinary? Cultural gems in Croatia, ancient temples in Asia, art in Italy. We'll take care of everything. Flights, accommodation, excursions, local guides and all that planning. Travel department, let's see more. Well, hello there and welcome to another Senior Times Woman to Woman podcast with me, Mairead Robinson. Now, in this series, we've been hearing from different women the stories of how their lives have unfolded, each one different, yet all totally fascinating and inspiring in their own ways. And I always love to chat to interesting women who've achieved great things in what was traditionally a man's world. And these days, there are more and more women like that. So regarding the world of wine, which I have spoken and written about many times for many for a long time now there's no doubt that this is an area that's previously been dominated by men but my guest today is an inspiring irish woman who's carved herself a very successful place in the wine business in ireland michelle lawler is the founder of the nude wine company and she joins me today for a chat welcome michelle good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you are whatever time it is hi Mairead. listen um Tell me, first of all, let's start at the beginning. Tell me about life growing up, where the whole story started. I grew up in Port Marnock and I now live in Kildare. So I have to say I miss the sea a lot. And you don't realise how amazing a coastal upbringing is until you're not coastal anymore. Um, So from Port Marnock and um, to a brother and a sister. And now we're all old with kids. But anyway, um, and um, my dad is actually, grew, he's London Irish, grew up in London, moved back and met my mom and obviously stayed. And when he was, oh, maybe in his mid 40s, maybe a bit later, he worked for the Irish Glass Bottle Company. And do you remember they closed that? I do indeed. Big. I remember yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. And so dad actually then changed career completely and we'd all finished school. And so he started working in the wine industry and in it for uh, for me for finding a job in college uh, he said like at the time I had no job and he was like well why don't you come and work for me in the wine shop it was odd bins in Clintarf and um, there's only one condition I said what's that he said you can't call me dad. (laughs) (laughs) But that was it so that's where it started I'd say I was maybe 19 years old. And I was doing communication studies in college. I actually specialized in radio production. And um, I just loved wine far more than I loved radio production. So in, it, in the end, as part of the um, uh, my dissertation, I actually did it on wine drinking culture in Ireland. And then I went on to do my diploma in wine. And then I moved to London. And the rest, as they say, is history. But um, it's my dad um, who's the reason why I work in the wine industry. And that's where it all started. And the, well, that's yeah. very interesting. So... I know that you have told me that um, you've had a very fascinating career in the whole wine industry, traveling all over the world. Give us a little bit about that. I know you've been in Asia and you've been in New Zealand and, well, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So I I was working in um, in a restaurant in London. Uh, this very nice guy took me under his wing, and I was maybe twenty four, and all of a sudden I was an assistant manager in a restaurant, not knowing anything. It's amazing when you're in the right place at the right time, and someone That's gives you it. an opportunity. And um, but I had done my diploma in wine at that stage, so it was actually, and I think worked in restaurants, Irish and chatty. It's like a special kind of niche, really. Um, and this job came up. 
up with one of the really big importers called Liberty Wines. They're in the UK and in Ireland. And it was for a job called The Apprentice. And it was kind of like a joke spin-off of um, the Alan Sugar Show. But basically, the successful candidate got to um, onto a two-year trainee manager program, but you were sent to um, New Zealand, which was amazing. I nearly didn't Wonderful. come back. Yeah. And so three months in Marlborough in 2008, and it was the year, they called that year the Savalanche because there was so much Sauvignon. And um, so that was amazing. And then when I came back um, and it was September 2008, I was sent to Italy. So you did one Northern Hemisphere vintage and one Southern Hemisphere vintage. And the Northern Hemisphere vintage in Italy, I was there with another girl. In fact, they couldn't decide between me and another girl. So they hired us both, which is amazing, actually, because it was mm. the first year. They still run the program to this day. So 15 years later. Um, and uh, we were in Italy and I had learned Italian with a set of um, headphones. You ever hear of Michelle Thomas? Yes. The language yes. guy. So I'd learned Italian through Michelle Thomas. And even to this day, if I speak a bit of Italian, I'm told I have a Polish accent for my Italian. <laughs> but um, uh, so we were in northern Italy um, in Pordenone making Pinot Grigio and the crash happened. But it was like before there was iPhones. We couldn't really read Italian. We got the uh, text message. So we went to um, Italy Never, it would have been late August, early early September. And we came back eight weeks later to a totally different world. Yes. Um, yeah. So it was like, I mean, it was it was an amazing experience. What I really appreciated was have like not understanding what was, I'm just going to say mad, not going on around me because we couldn't read the newspapers. We couldn't really follow. So we actually missed that intensity of us, you know. Yes. Um, and then I stayed on after that and I worked as a sales rep. And I got to a point, I'd say it was maybe 27 or 28. And I just thought, you know what, it's time for me to go home. I'd been away maybe five years in London, came back, worked for a couple of years and then thought, um, as only a young person would think, God, I better do something before I turn 30 or I'll never be able to leave. So I booked a one way ticket to Hong Kong. Um, and, and you went on your own, a young woman. By myself with ticket. a backpack. And the craziest why, why Hong Kong as a matter of interest? What, what made you choose Hong Kong? Um, it was halfway to Australia. Like really, there was no science to it. <laughs> it was halfway to Australia. So if it didn't work out, I was halfway there. Well, you um, had a bit of geography um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just it was a wine capital. And I just had this real um, hunger for a bit of adventure, something different. I would have always been very independent. Now, when I think back on it, I can't believe my parents let me. But what do you say to like? However old I was, 27 or 28, no, you can't go. You can't really. Um, and I sent out messages to people that I would have been friendly with who had quite a, like, I suppose, a lot of international prestige. And I had, after 10 days, seven job offers. Seven so, job offers. Amazing. Yeah, in 10 days, yeah. And they yeah. were all in the wine business. Well, all in the, all good jobs in the wine in in, in the wine business. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky that I chose uh, the right one. Um, uh, a chap called um, Paolo Pong, and he has a, had a restaurant business, and he had um, a really good wine portfolio, specialised in Burgundy and Bordeaux. At the time, he was the biggest buyer of Bordeaux in Asia. So, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, really prestigious guy. And I was lucky. And in actual fact, I don't know if any if any of your listeners have ever um, moved abroad on a whim. I'd say it was six months later before I actually understood anything about the working culture. 
because of that you just I mean you're so used to it it's so it's so different in Ireland even in England to Ireland you know it's different never mind like completely different culture well it's it's not a country most people would associate with the wine industry you know if you were going to travel abroad for the wine industry most people would think of you know Europe like France and Spain or obviously Australia and New Zealand or the States but Hong Kong is not the first country that would come to mind is it yeah I'm when I think about it, I don't know what my thought process was. I don't think I had one. <laughs> I think it was halfway to Australia. But um, Hong Kong had demolished or removed the tax on wine in 2008. Okay. So I arrived there in 2012. So there was no tax and there was a huge market of trading wine. So I worked for Paolo for a couple of years. And then I worked for um, another company for a couple of years doing trading. But there's a huge market to trade um, both fine wine, Bordeaux, Burgundy, and then high volumes of things like penfolds by the container um, into Shenzhen, which is just over the Hong Kong border, Shanghai, Beijing. So it was amazing, like an amazing opportunity. Um, and like the city was amazing. The food was amazing. I lived in what I could only describe as the Bray of Hong Kong called Sai Kung, if anyone has ever been there. And so I lived on the coast. I hiked every weekend. Life was good. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Are you interested in trying a new smartphone but still a little unsure? Do you want a phone that offers larger icons with louder sound and an interface that has technology designed for seniors? Well, why not choose from the Doro range by simply visiting doro.ie. Doro. Make friends with innovation. And what was your role in the company, um, in the wine business? What was your job? So sales was is my primary role. It still would be even in the new wine company. Like I'd be the salesperson and my partner, Tony, would be um, operations. So I um, was... God, I don't know what I would have sales anyway when I worked for Paolo and Altaya. And then I ran um, the Hong Kong office because it was an international company for the second job that I joined. And that would have been trading. We, I would have sold containers of things. I remember having a parcel of wine that cost 270,000 Hong Kong dollars. My goodness which was 27,000. I always dropped the knot. I don't know what the conversion rate is now. So 27,000 euros worth of wine. Um, and like with Paolo, he was very, um, he's like a social, um, I don't know what the word is, uh, but he'd be, he's very important, like socially and culturally. Yes. And one, on one occasion, he had brought the sales team with them to open bottles of wine for one of the parties. And there was waiters to pour them. He just wanted certain people to open them to make sure they were opened correctly. Yes. And at the end, um, I watched him with these like really like, like 1982 Latour, all these like really fancy wines smashing the bottles. And I was like, thinking, oh my God, this is crazy. Why would you do that? Like, Why wouldn't you keep it on your mantelpiece? They're so rare. Yes. And he had said that if you don't do that, they can be refilled and sold as fakes. And that was my first experience of going, okay, this is really not what I'm used to. Not at all. And you Not were very young, uh, if you don't mind me sounding a bit ageist, you were very young um, for such a role in the business, really. Yeah, and I actually, it was one of the reasons why I left Ireland in the first yeah. place, um, to go to London. That was 2006. I was working um, in a restaurant and all the boys were being promoted around me. Yes. I can't get a break here. Met, went to London um, and, um, yeah, got a really good job straight away. 
again. And then Hong Kong, I only had good jobs. And in actual fact, when I came back to Ireland in 2017, it was the first time I felt like a woman as opposed to a person or an employee, because it's just there's a little bit it's a bit stiffer it's a little bit more old-fashioned now it's maybe even the five years since covid um or or since i've come back it's not as bad but i definitely felt 2017 2018 2019 felt like a girl in a man's world yeah because being 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 a woman and and being a young woman you they're almost two things against you really they expect an older guy in a suit they yeah but but not in london and not in hong kong only in ireland it never felt like that really and i i didn't understand because i'd never really known it because i had left ireland when i was maybe 23 i'd never known it like that and i came back and i was like oh that's quite of a shock it's quite it was quite hard to adjust to to be honest Excellent. Just one thing, you mentioned fake wine. Tell me a bit more about that now. Oh, yeah. At the time when I was working in Altaya for Paolo, um, uh, there was this big story about a guy, and they've since made a film about it on Netflix, Sour Grapes. And as it happened, we had the Hong Kong agency for all of those wines. So it was always in the background. Yes. Fake wine is a thing. And, and it was always there. And then a few years later, I had changed jobs and I used to sell a lot of wine over the Hong Kong border into Shenzhen. And there was always a rule that if you once across the border, it could never come back because you didn't know what you were getting back. The wow. potential for fake was so big. So once it left Hong Kong, that was it. If someone ever said, oh, you know, there's a problem with the consignment or whatever, it was like, yeah. There may be, there mightn't be, we don't know. Um, and one particular time, this parcel I was telling you about, that was 27,000 um, euro or 270,000 Hong Kong dollars. My boss at the time had said, um, oh, we've got this parcel of wine. It was a DRC, Domain Romney Conti. Uh, can you try and sell it? And I had said, oh yeah, do you have the, pa- the, the paperwork? Because you get like a certificate of provenance. And he was like, oh yeah, I'm just waiting for it, but can you try and sell it? I said, oh, wait until you get the certificates of provenance. Anyway, a few days passed and he's like, oh, did you sell? I was like, no, I was waiting on the certificates of provenance. Anyway, oh yeah, they've got them, they're coming. I said, oh, okay. So sold the parcel and it went, didn't think twice about it. The the wine then came in and sometimes you wouldn't even get the wine into your warehouse. It would just pass in this like, you know, like trading, you know, it would just go from handler to handler. And I get this angry phone call from my customer saying that wine is fake. And I was like, no, 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 there's certificates. He's like, no, there aren't certificates and that wine, it's fake which it was as it transpired that's now, and, that's, yeah, why and they, so, that's why they break the bottles so it's not going to and end that's why they break the mind. bottles that's and so in that particular instance you're stuck because you've exchanged a huge amount of money yes so yes my boss struck a deal with the the um the guy who bought for me and the guy who bought from him yes everyone got a discount somewhere along the way and the fake wine just existed that's amazing. A lot of people wouldn't have realized that. That's quite amazing. Tell me something now, moving along from this fascinating career, back to Ireland, the the Nude Wine Company. Now, I know you're extremely successful. You've only been in business for, what, four or five years? Yeah. Tell me, tell me all about it and what you do. But before that, the name, the Nude Wine Company, does that mean everybody employed there walks around the office in the nude? No? Absolutely. <laughs> No, thank God. Um, so when I, we were uh, uh, coming up with the company and, and what I always wanted to sell 
were wines that I really believed in, which were the ones that were sustainably produced, no added chemicals, really hands on and a lot about um, the environment and like having a bit of respect for nature. And I found that, I mean, as well as, well as actually just the philosophy towards it, I found the wines were so much nicer, so much more energy, so much more flavor. And it didn't mean you spent loads of more money. But there was just so much in them. And anyway, also when I was a much younger woman, before I ever went gallivanting around London and Hong Kong, um, I used to go skinny dipping um, for a bit of crack in Dorky. Do you know Vico? I, think I it's know much well, I grew up up there. Oh, yeah. So I used to go skinny dipping in Vico. And so it was kind of a joke that the nude wine company was kind of like, you know, an ode to a much younger woman. Who, myself and um, just that the wines were closer to nature so, so that's you, where the name came from so you'd have a lot of organic and biodynamic wines yeah that's what really what we would specialize in sustainable yeah. organic biodynamic low production low sulfur well I guess uh, it's a dilemma isn't it because for the environment you want to source the wine perhaps in Europe but if you want some great Sauvignon Blanc you're looking at New Zealand so that's kind of a bit of a dilemma, isn't it? So you do you do sell some New Zealand wine because yeah, I tried yeah, a beautiful, sell, beautiful white wine of yours, the tin pot. Yeah, we sell we sell New Zealand Sauvignon, Argentinian Malbec, um, some New Zealand Chardonnay, and that's it. Like really, I try to keep it to a minimum because it is a big um, juxtaposition because. When you, when you talk about adding chemicals into a bottle of wine, for example, if you're a lot of times at New Zealand Sauvignon, it's made in New Zealand, put in a giant tanker, yes, shipped and bottled here. Because if you can think of a picture of the bottles lined up in a box and the dead neck space around where the tops of the bottles are and the weight of the glass. So it's better for the environment and more cost effective. But in no. order to preserve them, because if you think of it's a tank of wine, say the size of Dundrum shopping center, like huge volume of wine, it's like milk. So if one part of it spoils, everything is gone. Yes. And so the risk management is treat it with loads of chemicals so that it doesn't spoil. So then what do you trade off against the lower exactly. price point? What a dilemma. And yes, I get it. Yeah, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And um, a lot of New Zealand Sauvignon and Argentinian Malbec, they're all bottled over here. Yeah. Certainly the big mass production ones because it's more cost effective. It's why when I started working in Oddbins in 2002, a bottle of New Zealand Sauvignon was £12. My how has it now gone down to 10 euro, you wow. know, Yes, in 20 yes. years? And that's how. So the trade-off is, yeah, you're going to have something that's treated or you spend a little bit more. You know, what's the, what's how do you work it out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Tell me, um, what's your favourite wine yourself? Well, I was Italian in a previous life. Yes, I, I picked that up. Yes, I had picked up <laughs> the Italian flavour. So I was definitely from Tuscany, if I could have been from anywhere. Uh, okay. So I would always uh, lean towards Italian Liberty Wines, who I did the apprentice with, um, the apprenticeship with uh, in my mid-twenties, were Italian and Australian specialists. But I really loved Italian wine. I love Sangiovese. I love Chianti. I love Brunello. I know that comes at a bigger price tag. And I love Barolo. I love Nebbiolo. So I definitely always lean towards Italian. So the, the Sangiovese is beautiful. But I remember being on a wine trip and... Um, in Italy, and uh, the winemaker saying the trouble they had to produce good Sangiovese. And his his little uh, expression was, you'd have to be crazy to grow Sangiovese because it was just so delicate to get it just right. Yeah, and Sangiovese is often compared to Pinot Noir in yeah. that it's delicate and it's a very high caliber wine. For sure. Exactly, yeah. 
and and it, it can be difficult to make it just perfect. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember it must have been maybe uh, 2008 or 2009 talking to one of the winemakers because I obviously would have had a lot of contact with Italian winemakers and they had decided not to certify as organic, practice organic, but not to go in for the certification because it was 2006, this particular year, the climatic conditions were so difficult that if they were certified organic, they had no protection. Yeah. So a lot of times... Yeah. And so they would have lost so much of their crops. So a lot of times you'll find that people and um, they mightn't go for the certification, but they'll practice it. And then they have that little bit of leeway if, in fact, something there's something really dramatic, which happens now. I feel like every year there's something dramatic in the climate. I've seen that, especially with a lot of wines from Chile and places, because um, it's just too dangerous to limit themselves with, yeah. with that certification. Um, so tell me about the Nude Wine Company. You supply wines uh, online, basically, and yeah. you have all sorts of different collections. And I know that one you have is the Michelin collection. Tell me about the Michelin wines. I know a little bit because I've tasted a couple of them, but for everyone else's benefit, tell me about your Michelin wines. So we put together, or we were eating, well, both of myself and my partner turned 40 this year. So we treated ourselves to a very nice meal um, in Patrick Ebo's. And we were looking at the wine list. It's like, God, we have a lot of these wines. Because normally if you go to a Michelin restaurant, it tends to be a lot of premium Bordeaux that are aged or, you know, French wines that you can't really get anywhere in their collections they've sat on. And I thought it was really unusual and unique that in actual fact, a couple of things, we obviously had good taste if our wines were also available in Michelin restaurants, but how great would it be to then have them at home where you don't have okay. to have the big price tag? And what you get when you know it's in a Michelin restaurant is that it's nearly like it's guaranteed. It's a bit of affirmation. Okay, it must be good enough. If it's good enough to go into a Michelin restaurant, it's good enough for me. It's a fantastic sure. recommendation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, yeah. I just thought it was wonderful that you do that because uh, people can be at home, have this wonderful wine, Michelin recommended, if you like delivered to their door and then all they have to do is cook a beautiful meal to go with it and have all that experience without leaving the house. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And so what you get is just a little bit of affirmation that your choice is as good as well, um, the people who own Michelin-starred restaurants. Yeah. So we have two boxes. We have uh, ones that is, are wine from two-star Michelin restaurants. Amazingly, we had enough to put them in a box, a box of six, and that's the two-star box. And then we have the beginner's Michelin, and that's four bottles of wine, and they're in like a mixture of one and two-star Michelin restaurants in Ireland. And a Cava, which was the house port at El Bulli in Spain. And yeah. El Bulli is the only restaurant to win best restaurant in the world five times. It's yes. since closed, but it was like record-breaking. Um, so um, their their houseport cava is the cava that we have in the Michelin box. Which is a fantastic, beautiful, dry, very, very classy cava indeed, yeah. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Right. So um, tell me, uh, people can contact you through the nudewinecompany.ie or they yeah. can phone you up. They can look at what you have on offer. You have special offers and then you have special prices if they get a certain amount of bottles and so on. Yeah, so we're based in Kildare and we offer click and collect if anyone, sometimes you have people who are, happen to be driving by the N7 or in NACE um, or if anyone's local, they're welcome to come in and have a little browse. We have it set up like a shop so you can have a little browse and if you want some more, um, I suppose, personalised advice. And then um, we also, so we ship nationwide. Brilliant. Well, now um, you are also very popular on, on television, on on the uh, Virgin Media. So if people want to learn a bit more wine and listen to your recommendations, how regularly are you on? What days of the week? What time? 
So I'm generally on, on a Thursday. Now, that being said, there's always an exception to the rule, but generally I'm on um, the first or second Thursday of the month. I'm on the next time, Thursday, the 7th of September, just ahead of the Rugby World Cup tournament. So we're going to be doing wines from the World Cup tournament um, regions. Okay, so, so that's Virgin Media One, is it? Virgin Media, Ireland AM, yeah, Virgin Media One. So the first... Thursday of each month, you said? Generally, but then sometimes it's the second, but generally it's the first. There's no, unfortunately, there's no set rule. But yeah, generally a Thursday at 9.45 and usually the first one of the month. Excellent. Well, that's worth people people checking into to see what's good and what's hot. So uh, thank you very much for talking to me. Before you go, tell me one thing. What would be, I'm going to put you on the spot now. What would be your death row meal? Your base, your, your Italian wine, obviously, what would you have to eat with it? With my Italian wine, probably have a pizza. I know it doesn't <laughs> sound very fancy, but I really, it's my favorite food in the world. And when it's done well, it's amazing. Okay, a fancy pizza and a nice bottle of Sangiovese might work for you, yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> Listen, it's great talking to you, Michelle. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much. That's Michelle from the Nude Wine Company. Thank you indeed. We'll talk to you Thank again. You. Phone poker new wet, on will knappy no fum nis orjo wet, nis eskalehusaj, faker no phone in tokata gwin, on cho, egg daro, on von klishte is dani, gidi gohan la hai glinna, august taskina, taroda egan, gogachtina, tanismo olis, egg, daro.com.